What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Murders. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Speaking of Murder, and welcome to the new listeners. Um, Before we get into today's episode, a little bit of business. We want to tell you about our other shows, Speaking of Missing Persons and Speaking of Hauntings. If you like this show, you should go check those out. If you want to see photos from today's episode, check out our socials. We'll be posting them there. And uh, if you want bonus episodes like Heaven's Gate Cult and Werewolf Trials, and murders surrounding celebrities, stuff like that, go subscribe to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash haunted. You can find those there. We put them out every other Saturday. They're fantastic, and we cut loose on those. We let loose a lot more. It's pretty fun. So make sure you're doing that, and uh, don't forget to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. All of that said, Shauna, tell us a little more about Jeffrey Dahmer. Hate to, but let's do it. <laughs> Uh, okay, so where we last left off, his grandma had called his dad and asked him to try to get Jeffrey to move out. And like I said, he had moved into one apartment complex briefly before moving into another. So, real sorta. quick, there was like a, a thing about like black ooze coming out of the trash can or something too? Yeah, he was um using chemicals to basically dissolve body parts and he was just putting them in the trash can. Ugh. That's so gross. I hope it, I, I hope I don't end up black goo. It really is gross. Well, I mean, I think you will. No, I'm totally getting cremated. Oh well then you'll be fine unless you lay dead for a while before you're cremated. Mm, gross. Alright, so Jeffrey moved into some apartments. Yes. But before we talk about all that, I'm going to basically give you a rundown of any and all possibilities of things that he could be doing to these people so that I don't have to go into detail about every single one of them. Oh, so it's basically kind of like what we did with Ted, Ted yeah. Bundy, so I didn't have to say it over and over again. Okay. Because a lot of this is very redundant and it's not good. Okay. okay. Modus operandi. So his patterns included... He would offer men money to come back to his apartment to pose for photos or to watch porn. He said they that they knew sexual activity and taking pictures were, was the idea. After he got them into the apartment, he would give them a sedative crushed up in a drink, and he tried a few different sedatives, one including ether. Dang, man. Holy crap. Um, Just got that lying around. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I've never tried to buy either, but I assume, <laughs> you know, back then, substances were a lot easier to I mean, find all types the of different 90s. things. No, oh, we're not, we're not oh. there yet. I thought we were like in the... Oh, we're, we're, still in, the 80s. we're in the late 80s. We're still oh, in the 80s. 80s. Yeah, we're in the late 80s still. Once they had passed out from the drugs, he would either strangle them with his hands or a leather strap he had bought specifically 
for the purpose. He would sometimes perform sexual acts with the dead bodies. He experimented with different types of chemicals to make disposing of the body parts easier. He settled on one, which I'm not going to disclose, which would make it to where he could literally flush them down the toilet. You're that fucking was, uh, joking. Had to be some kind of acid. Yeah. We're he, not going to teach people how to dispose of a body. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> he would keep uh, body parts such as genitals, heads. Sir, I'm pretty sure all they kinds sell fake genitals at certain stores. You can probably just go get one of those instead of like cutting off someone else's real genitals. Just saying. Yeah, he actually kept these in jars prefer- preserved in formaldehyde. Wait a minute. Like what you see like in science class on the shelf and stuff like that? Like, a, you know, mm-hmm. you walk into science class and you see, oh, there's a little octopus and there's this thing and then a dick and then a <laughs> baby shark. <laughs> I mean, yeah. My God. Oh, it gets worse. He would also... Often cut them open, take pictures of their insides before dismembering them. He um, he confessed that the heat that came from the body once he had cut them open was arousing for him. And sometimes he would even wait for rigor mortis to set in so he could take pictures of them in a standing position. I didn't put this in here, but after the dismemberment process, a lot of them went in a 55. 50 some 55 gallon drum yeah in acid to dissolve to be flushed down the toilet in his bedroom he would also um boil the heads in a common household cleaner which again i'm not going to tell you what that is and uh, he would keep those as trophies and lastly he would on some of these victims, drill holes in their skull to pour acid into so that they would become more submissive. So he was trying to make, like, zombie type, like, just yeah. do as you're he told, wanted, He wanted a willing participant to whatever he was going to do. So those he wouldn't, like, strangle and kill? No, he would, well, he, he would, would drug. He would drug and then drill the hole, pour the acid... And then wait to see if they died. Yeah. Okay. He was experimenting. It was pretty much he was trying to make his own zombie. Basically. It sounds like this guy was basically a mad scientist of sorts. Well, it literally all stemmed from uh, abandonment issues. Jeffrey had such abandonment issues. It was terrible. Anything goes to keep people from walking away from him? Yeah. At one point, at what point did he eat them? Because I'll I know talk him. about that in this story. Most people know him as a cannibal. Yeah, no, I'll actually talk about that. But he, in his confessions, only saved two men's body parts to eat. He said he just wanted to try it. Hmm. Interesting. Th- this dude was disgusting. And I'm also telling you all of what he did because not the source that I had didn't say which people he had specifically done those things to. It was like they were trying to preserve their dignity in some way, shape, or form. 
Okay, so it was just a generalized, this is what he was doing to his victims. I will tell without you. Without specifying which one. Yes, and I will tell you some of the parts he kept on what victims also. Okie dokie. Okay, here we go. Story time. September 25th, 1988 is when Jeffrey moved into the first apartment uh, out of his grandma's house. This apartment was located at 808 North 25th Street in Milwaukee. As if a gift for himself, for getting his own place, he went looking for someone to bring back to it. That is when he found 13-year-old boy walking home from school around 3.30 p.m. Okay, you can't tell me that this is another one of those, like, he's six foot tall and I thought he was 18. Actually, um, no, not this boy. I'm surprised he admitted to it. Well, he had to. We'll get into that. Yeah, no, he, Jeffrey definitely knew that he was 13. He claims that he didn't, but he did. Uh, school, this school that this boy was walking home from was about a block away from Jeffrey's new apartment. Jeffrey told the boy that he had gotten a new camera and that he would like to test it out. He had told the boy that he had asked others, but they had all turned him down. He said he would give him 50 bucks to pose for for him, which most of the time that's how much he had offered the men was 50 bucks. The boy agreed. Inside the apartment, Jeffrey got the boy to take off some of his clothes, not all of them, and then took two pictures before kissing him on the stomach and reaching in his pants to pull out his penis. Jeffrey touched him. No. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Jeffrey touched him while saying, look sexier for the pose. Jeffrey also gave the boy... Uh, coffee laced with halicon, halicon. It was a prescription Jeffrey had gotten as a sleep aid from a doctor. At least that's what he lied and said. And it's said that it's a cousin drug to Valium. That's a pretty strong s- sleeping aid if it's related to Valium. Yeah. It didn't say how, but somehow the boy had gotten out, well, he had gotten out of the apartment and made it back to his house. Yes, Sam? I'm just trying to process my trauma as you're talking. (laughs) Okay. Well, it it makes you feel better. Legit trauma. If it makes you feel any type of better, they didn't have sex of any kind, and the boy literally got away from Jeffrey. Thank goodness for that. Thank the heavens. Okay. While he was at his house, the boy was acting just plain weird. His parents couldn't figure it out. And when he had passed out, the family got worried and rushed him to the doctor. The doctor quickly found the drugs in the boy's system and informed police. As soon as he woke up, he had told police the story of what happened to him and that Jeffrey was the one that drugged him. Um, You know, among the touching. Um, At... 2.30 a.m., the cops showed up at Jeffrey's job at Ambrosia Chocolate to arrest him. So he was on the overnight shift. Mm-hmm. At the station, Jeffrey would explain that he didn't know the boy wasn't 18 and that he has never touched, kissed, or kissed him, drugged him, or took photos of him. Wait a minute. If he's completely denying that he touched him, drugged him, uh... 
kissed him, took photos. Why would there be any commentary on whether or not the child was 18? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I never took... Because I think he's saying, yeah, he was at my apartment, but I didn't do any of those things to him. And, and I, didn't, I didn't realize he wasn't 18 teen. when I was hanging out with him. Oh, okay. So he's yeah. admitting, yes, I hung out with him at my apartment, but all those other things, no, I did not do. Yeah, that, those just weren't true. Mm. And I mean, I would have never hung out with him if I didn't think he was 18. Kind of a deal. Gotcha. Um. Jeffrey then explains to the cops that the boy got the drugs in his system indirectly. Well, then you did drug him. I mean, if... he He's saying he it was an accident entirely. And I'll explain. He said that he was the only one that used that cup. So he never washed it. And that was also how he took his meds, was dissolving them in coffee. So that means the drugs were just residue in the bottom of the cup that got in this boy's system. Enough to make him pass out and have to go to the fucking hospital? My thing is, is if you're using this to go to sleep, why the fuck are you drinking it in coffee? Yeah, that's... Also, why are are you disgusting enough to never wash your cup? (laughs) I mean, I don't wash my mug. Do you rinse it out? I mean, I'll run water over it, but that's the most, and I only do that maybe once or twice a week. Yeah, no, he's saying he never... It just was coffee, sleeping pills. No, mine's coffee, 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 a little bit of water, coffee, coffee, coffee. See, at least you rinse it. Jeffrey was arrested and charged with second degree assault, sexual assault, I'm sorry, and sexual exploitation. Good. Serves him right. Yeah, but obviously if this was, you know, the end of him, there wouldn't be three parts to this story. I'm just saying. Except... Lionel posted Jeffrey's $10,000 bail, and Jeffrey moved back in with his grandma, making his stay uh, making his stay in the new apartment less than a month. The preliminary hearing was on September 30th, 1988, where Jeffrey pled not guilty. He actually would end up changing his plea on January 30th, 1989 to guilty. Because at this point, he had a lawyer and all that stuff. He would live with his grandma until he would be sentenced on May 23rd, 1989. But that didn't stop him from his previous behavior. On March 25th, 1989, Jeffrey would go to La Cage Ox Falls, which is a gay bar, where he would meet a man named Anthony Sears, who was 24. Okay, so... The incident with the boy in September, like, from then until March, there were no other incidents? No. No, because he was, like, had been in trouble. Okay. I think he was trying to lay low for a little bit, but it's that... It's gotcha. uh, it, it was described on the March event was that he was... It was getting close to his sentencing date, and he basically freaked out that he would never get to do this again. So he found gotcha. one out to find. Okay. So he was laying low and then had a panic of like, shit, I might get like 20 years in jail and I'm never going to get to experience you know, okay. this feeling again. So I have to do it now, Okay, which is absolutely f- asinine. Absolutely fucking ridiculous. I agree with you. It's fucking stupid. Anthony... His two friends, so Anthony's two friends, and Jeffrey all left the club together. 
Jeffrey's friends departed from Anthony and Jeffrey near uh, Jeffrey Jeffrey's grandma's house. Jeffrey had told Anthony that he was from Chicago and asked him if he wanted to be photographed. Anthony jumped on this because it was said he was an aspiring model. Back at the house, the two had sex. Jeffrey gave him a drug drink, strangled him, had sex with Anthony's body before dismembering him. Unlike the other murders, though, Jeffrey kept Anthony's skull, which he had boil. He would, when I say he kept the skull, what he would do is he would boil the head. Like he would cut it off and boil the head and then remove the flesh and everything and then have the skull. And with Anthony's, he would paint it gray to make it look like a Halloween decoration if it was found. It's also said that he, I'm pretty sure that he kept Anthony's genitals. Okay, so some mementos before potential jail time. Which is the first time he had kept anything yeah, from before any murder. he had been destroying everything all the way down to like jewelry. He, Which he still does. He he does this, he cuts up everybody's identification and all of their jewelry and whatever and just talks, tosses it in the trash. Okay. That is a, another part of his pattern. He did that with his shit. He just kept his, you know, skull and penis, which is worse. On May 23rd, 1989, Jeffrey was sentenced to three years in prison. It could have been a 10-year sentence, but he got three. Five years of probation for enticing, um, he was sentenced for enticing a child for immoral purposes. That was his charge. He also got a work release, so instead of serving his time in prison, he would be living in a correctional center that was basically described as a dormitory with a curfew. So he didn't actually even go to prison? No. He had never even stepped foot in one. It's... Kind of like a halfway house. We actually have one here in St. Louis. No. Doesn't seem like the best place to put a child predator. No. no, it doesn't. But I will say something after this. Jeffrey would only end up serving 10 months of the three-year sentence. He was assigned a probation officer named Donna Chester, which he had to report to twice a month, and was supposed to do regular home checks. She was, not him. He was also supposed to get psychological help and alcohol treatments and not have any contact with anyone 18 or, like, under the age of 18. Now, what I will say is the judge legitimately thought that he could be rehabilitated. Well, I'm sure he came off as someone that well, could. Because he did. When and he pled this was guilty, his, like, first offense. It wasn't, though. He had been arrested. He had yeah, been in Milwaukee. This was his first offense, right? No. Oh. He had been arrested for um, showing those two boys his... Oh, yeah, pulling oh, out his yeah, pants. I forgot but about that. But they had dropped the sentence down because he felt guilty. He pulled that same shit here. He felt guilty. Well, usually they're pretty good manipulators. That's how they get away with it for so long is they're such good manipulators. Bobby looks like he wants to say something. He just seems pissed over there. No, it just Chester and the molester? <laughs> I have never thought about it, Bobby. Okay. 
Upon his release on March 2nd, 1990, he would move back in with his grandma, but she had the stipulation he had to find an apartment as soon as possible. Well, yeah, I'd be like, uh, you can stay here for mm, zero amount of time. Right. <laughs> Go sleep outside in the woods. Right. Okay, thanks. You, right. Like, I ain't putting up with that bullshit. No, you had goo running out of my trash cans, and, and I walked in on you doing things to a young man. So, no. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, this might also piss you off, Sam. Cool beans. At I the like same- how you're the only one that gets pissed off. No, it's just, you know what's coming, and she doesn't. Bobby might be pissed, too. At the same time all this was going on, Donna, Jeffrey's probation officer, wouldn't make home visits. I kind of figured that. Because, well, while he was at his grandma's, she said she had too many clients. Yeah, I honestly wasn't expecting her to. Like, when you said that she had to make home visits, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. She also wouldn't go to his the apartment he's about to move into because of the neighborhood. Gotcha. So let's not do our jobs because, because the neighborhood is sketchy, but it's your job. Mm-hmm. Makes a whole lot of sense. So you could have prevented a lot of these things from happening if Maybe, you would have just... or she could have been a victim job. herself. I don't think he would have no. went that direction, especially since he has only killed men she doesn't exactly fit his type no No. and he doesn't seem like a rage killer it's more i don't think he is to be drawn out long process Mm -hmm. as of april 1990 donna knew jeffrey could acknowledge and talk about his sexual feelings say 1990 or 1998 1990 okay so he was at the point now where he could talk about his sexual feelings, that he had isolated himself from people and was drinking alone. Lionel told Donna, Jeffrey had started to attend alcohol treatments on April 27th, 1990. And I'm going to say the year every single time so that we don't get months and things confused. Donna had also written that Jeffrey was depressed and didn't want to solve his own problems. Well, I mean... If he's an extreme alcoholic and that's how he's dealing with it, then yeah, I would say so. Jeffrey ended up moving out of his grandma's house this time on May 14th, 1990. He had found his home in an apartment on 924 North 25th Street, apartment number 213. These apartments were called the Oxford Apartments. Oxford, 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 Oxford Oxford Apartments. Just weeks after moving in, Donna would say Jeffrey started missing appointments. Shocker. Right. I was going to say. And when she did see him, he looked like total shit. He had stopped showering and shaving. Yeah. Well, I know why that is. I am just taken (laughs) aback with surprise. Right. Jeffrey told her he had... uh, been robbed a few times in this new neighborhood he he gets and he ends up getting robbed a total of three in like the first three months or something close to that okay which might you know but he didn't report any of it it might explain why she 
was afraid of the neighborhood. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like that's a story to just keep, yeah. keep her away from him. Yeah, because he had never reported any of the incidents. Exactly. So he was probably like, girl, you don't want to come to my apartment. Well, my thought is... I get robbed every day. If you're, I mean, actively helping with people on parole and probation... Not all of them are going to get out and move into multi-million dollar mansions. The majority of them are going to be in bad neighborhoods. Bad neighborhoods, low-income communities, Section yeah. 8 housing, stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. a lot of them will go in and be in for many years and come out with nothing and or it's no not, family yeah, or and family that won't talk to them or whatever. And it's not like they can easily get jobs or anything like that because a background check is going to be like, hmm... No thanks. I think the worst part is Donna's solution to him getting robbed is to find a new place to live. That was what she said. Jeffrey, you need to find a new place to live. He's like, I can't. He also couldn't because he had picked the place specifically for the fact that it was a bad neighborhood. So he thought that he would be able to get away with all the shit he was doing. Yeah, I was going to say. He, he, he couldn't because he said he didn't make enough money at Ambrosia Chocolate. Because this entire time he keeps this job. And the fact that he had specifically picked it because it made, he thought it would make what he was doing easier. So wait a minute. Well, and his victim profile are minorities and homosexuals and Yeah, he lived near gay clubs and... Didn't didn't he have the job at the uh, Ambrosia place before he went to jail for 10 months? Yeah. Yeah. That's why he, they let him have a work release. He was still going, even though yeah, he, was he was in the in halfway jail. house. So he was going back and forth from the halfway house to his job, which he would also come back to the halfway so house. So he never drunk missed work, which I find incredibly surprising that they let him keep yeah, his job. You would figure he would have missed at least some time from work for being in jail during all of his court hearings and no, he was out, he was out on, bail. on bail. His dad kept him out on bail. He never spent a single day in jail. Yeah, nope. he was with his grandma during all of his court stuff, right? Yeah. Isn't that what you said? Mm-hmm. He didn't spend a single day in jail. No, Lionel wouldn't let that happen. Okay. That's why when people try to tell me that his abandonment issues stem from his dad, I'm like, no, they don't. I don't think so. No, it's all from his mom. Because Lionel seems to be very much a part of his life, like as much as he can anyway. Right. Or at least very supportive. Yeah, he's probably not in his life a lot because he is in Ohio. But yeah, I feel like Lionel did everything he could to try to prevent what was happening right now, but just didn't know it was happening. Okay. Okay. So June 11th, 1990, Jeffrey told Donna he felt guilty for uh, preferring to have male partners, sex partners, and had... Uh, hadn't had sexual contact with anyone at the time, so as of June 11th, and was planning to stay celibate. Not believable. Not long after this conversation with Donna, Jeffrey went to the Phoenix Bar where he met Eddie Smith, who was 38, and Jeffrey fell into his normal patterns. Sexual acts, drugging, strangling... The only difference is this time he took four or five photos of the dismemberment process, which he, once he had finished, he threw Eddie in the trash and disposed of the photos. He didn't even keep them. 
And when I say like right after that, it was like a week after he had talked to Donna. That's so weird. He well, he the, the thing is, is at this point he's still scared of being caught. He's still kind of on that I don't want to get caught thing. No, but I, I I get that, but I'm saying like it's really odd that sure he doesn't want to get caught. That part's not odd, but then he's documenting what he's doing but by taking photographs it. but then destroying all of his photographs and whatever else well, i don't know if he's necessarily getting rid of these bodies like the same day well i can tell you that he put eddie in the the dumpster provided by the apartment complex yeah, I know, but does it say how long he kept him before no. he did that? Because I feel like he wasn't just killing them and then the same day chucking them in the no. trash. So he was probably using these photos to like relive the moment while he still had his body. And, and then once he got rid of his body, he got rid of the photos with his body. So he yeah. would have no proof that he did what he did. <laughs> I mean, all of that makes sense. It sounds like something Jeffrey would do. Because, I mean, he was just like, just how Ted Bundy was going back to his victims repeatedly to have sex with their dead bodies. Pretty sure everything I know about Jeffrey Dahmer, he was also a necrophiliac. He was. And he was having sex with them for days afterwards before he would get rid of them. Like I said, like I said. I gave you a brief description of what his patterns were because it doesn't exactly, my sources don't exactly go into all that much detail about what he's doing with whom. Um, I will tell you, though, we're going to skip forward a little bit because this is important. March 1991, which I never knew he he did this, Jeffrey anonymously called Eddie's family and told them to stop looking for him, that he was dead and he had killed him. And he had apparently done this with multiple families over the years yeah i could see that what i could see that right he so when they would, would go call his victims families and say hey, like I anonymously don't bother looking for him yeah. yeah i could see that being the case with him probably mostly because he in some weird fucked he, up he way d- he wanted them to have to know, know what happened so they would stop looking Mm-hmm. But if I'm sorry, if my son was missing and I got this anonymous phone call from this dude who's like, you can stop looking for them. He's dead. Sorry, bitch. I'm not going to stop looking. I'm not going to believe you. Right. Just because you said it. Yeah. I thought that that was like insanely fucked up and kind of out of character for him just a little bit. It is and it isn't. Um. Okay. June 25th, 1990, after he had killed Eddie... When Jeffrey saw Donna, she reported he was attending treatments, was still depressed, but it could be an act, his depression. And that he said he wasn't, he still hadn't had sexual contact with anyone because he was too busy working double shifts at Ambrosia, which we know is a lie because Eddie. So she was picking up on his bullshit to a certain extent. Two parts of it. July 8th, 1990, Jeffrey brought a 15-year-old boy back to his apartment with the promise of $200 if he posed for pictures. The boy agreed and said while he was in the apartment, he was face down on the bed for the photos. 
while the exorcist played on the TV. Now, I will tell you that that is a common occurrence where Jeffrey is doing this to people, doing this to these men while the exorcist plays on the TV. Yeah, he usually always has the exorcist playing on TV while this is happening. Okay. That's really odd. Okay. Okay. Is it because of all the bodily fluids in the movie? I I don't know. Okay. Who knows? Maybe it's the whole, like, scary factor. Or maybe it's because of the whole abandonment thing, because in that movie, her mom is not very motherly. Maybe he can relate. Maybe oh, he thinks it, it he's could like just like intensify his abandonment issues in the moment or something. Yeah, maybe he can uh. relate to it, and maybe he's like thinking in his head, like maybe I'm possessed, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Okay, mm-hmm. who knows? Either way, yes. Very odd. Yep. Uh, the boy though refused to drink anything Jeffrey gave him. Oh, he refused. Smart, Jeffrey. Hit him in the back of the head with a rubber mallet instead and tried to strangle him. But the boy started threatening to call the police, which somehow must have scared Jeffrey because he told him he would call him a cab. And while he did so, the boy ran out of the fucking apartment. Once Note, note to self, teach my son not to take drinks from anyone. Anyone. Once the boy got home, his foster mom had taken him to the hospital to be treated for his bruises. The boy would only tell his foster mom some things that happened because he didn't want her to know he was gay. That's so sad. The police were... The police made one home visit. I don't know if this was to Jeffrey or the foster mom's house, but it was never heard about again. Like, they never informed his foster mom of it anything going on or anything like that so i'm assuming it was to jeffrey's it never said it's that's so sad like a kid would have to hide something like that just because they all that trauma just because of their sexual preferences i will tell you fucking insane i will tell you that this uh, his foster mom and i'm pretty sure the boy were both mexican and she said that he, that she wished he would have told her that she would have been accepting of him. But back in this time period, oh yeah, it was, it was a it was a taboo for uh, Mexicans to be gay. Oh, I'm sh- I'm sure. I feel like, and it was like a big like um, what did she call it? A big uh, I don't I don't remember the word, but it was like a big thing within their community. Taboo. Like a expected almost like type of thing is the word that she used um expected for them to be gay uh to be like ashamed of it oh it was i don't know it was sad though so it was like ingrained in them to be secret yeah like homophobic like okay all the boys said that he remembered after this point was his name was jeffrey which I'm shocked he was actually giving his real name when introducing himself, especially yeah. to the young boys. I'm not surprised. I'm Me not either. surprised either. It was because like he had Ted every doing in, the same thing. He yeah. had every intention on killing them. He didn't care if they knew his real name. <laughs> True. And that's how Ted Bundy felt about it. He's like, why do I care? I'm going to kill them. They're not going to be able to tell anyone my real name. That's true. Later in July, Jeffrey would meet ricky lee beaks they met at club 219 which remember is a gay bar same pattern happened jeffrey would keep his painted skull now we'll start to see a pattern emerge with that too 
September 1990, Jeffrey met Ernest Miller, who was 24. Jeffrey kept to the same pattern. After being drugged, Jeffrey slit his throat, though, put him in the bathtub to dismember him. He threw away everything but the skeleton and the biceps. This is one of the two body parts he would keep to eat. The skeleton was bleached, posed for photos, and hung on the shower spigot where it would stay. The biceps were frozen to be eaten later. Also in September, Jeffrey brought a man named David Thomas home. He was 22. And the only difference with this man was that he didn't do anything sexual with him. He said that he was actually very unattracted to him. Then why did he bring him home? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Murder. It was just to... Well, he said that he, Jeffrey explained that he had killed David because he didn't want him to wake up angry, but they didn't have sex, and that he had been drugged. So it was pretty much he was past the point of being able to just let him go. He should have just not not brought brought him him home. home. But he was probably the only guy who agreed to go home with him that night. And, you know, standards. I guess. It's the most... I guess. Okay. Fucked up shit ever. We're almost to the end of this, Samantha, so breathe easy. Yeah, whatever. Okay. She lives through Ted Bundy. After he murdered David, Jeffrey wouldn't murder again until February 1991. So he went from September to February? Yeah. Okay. During this time, he was going through alcohol and mental health treatments. While doing so, he was diagnosed as manic-depressive. He had also told Donna he didn't want to see Lionel or his brother David for Thanksgiving or Christmas because he was ashamed of the sexual assault he had done in 1988 to that boy. To the the boy. 13-year-old. Yeah. Okay, so he didn't want to face them because of that. And he probably hadn't seen them since that happened. Okay. No, I don't think so. He also told her he hadn't spoken to Joyce in Five years. His mom? Yeah. So where does the abandonment come from? Right. I mean... Which I'm sure she didn't give a damn. No, she probably thought her four-year-old doing what he was doing was, like, horrifying. Well, it's also said that Joyce was manic-depressive, so it could have been hereditary. Could have been. I mean, she did up and leave fucking Jeffrey the day he, like, pretty much graduated. I thought she left him before that. She left him right around graduation. It is unclear if it was the day he graduated, which she never attended anyway, or before it. That is where I'm going to leave you for part two of Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, Come back next week for part three. (laughs) I mean, I'll be here. I don't Uh, know if Samantha will make it. I will also reluctantly be here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you enjoyed today's episode, let us know. Leave a five-star review, leave a comment, share the episode with whoever. And uh, like I said, go check out the photos on our socials. Those are all linked in the episode and if show description. If they don't get taken down. Yeah, yeah we yeah, got we, flagged. Yeah, we got flagged for the first Jeffrey Dahmer photo. So. so hopefully Jeffrey part two photos will be up on the Instagram page. You can go to Facebook to see them, though. So... Check those out, and uh, you can also find them on our Patreon. Make sure you're going and subscribing to that. Get the bonus episodes. 
patreon.com slash missing murdered haunted. That's all one word. There's no spacing, no underscores, any of that stuff. So does anyone have anything else they want to add in? Nope. No. All right. We'll see y'all back next week. Bye. 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 Bye.